<sighs> Lord, you said, be still and know that I am God. We want to still our hearts this morning as we look to hear from you. can be so busy in the Christmas season. There's so much joy and so many activities and our church calendar is full. But Lord, it's all just a clanging gong. It's just noise if it's not founded on you. And so help us not to be distracted with our own doing. Distracted, Lord, with our own um, events and things, Lord, that we miss um, the truth of what it's all about. Lord, that you sent your only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Turn our hearts to that this morning, we pray. Lord, have your will in our service. Speak to each heart, Lord. Um, We want to be open for you to do anything you please, Lord. This is your church. We give it all to you this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we are starting our Christmas series today, and uh, for the next four four weeks or so. And uh, what we're going to be doing for our Christmas series this, this year is we're looking at Old Testament prophecies of the coming Messiah that were fulfilled in Jesus. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. But just to kind of kick us off, I just want to remind us of, of what we're holding in, uh, in our Bibles and uh, I used to do, when Amanda and I were youth leaders, we'd, I'd do a, a devotional that I called The History of Everything, The Purpose of Your Life, and the Entire Bible in 10 Minutes. And uh, basically, it was, just, it was just the story, the overarching story of the Scripture, because it's that, isn't it? I mean, the Scripture starts with, with creation, with, with how we came to be the eternal God, creating everything, creating this incredible universe, and then creating humankind in his image so that we can have a relationship with him and desires that and he walked in the cool of the garden with adam and eve and he he showed them what it means to walk with god and then they but they rebelled against him they wanted to be their own gods they wanted to be like god knowing good and evil not take what god said not take his direction on this is good and this is evil they wanted to figure it out for themselves and that's really the root of sin you've heard me say that before wanting it to do it their own way instead of God's way. And so they rebelled, and it was such a little thing, but it was the heart of rebellion behind it, that sin that came into the world and fractured everything. And after that, we see just in the first few chapters of the, of the Bible, we see that sin just going out and breaking, fracturing the world. I mean, obviously, sin and death and thorns and mosquitoes, in my opinion, it's not in there, but came into the world, you know, and uh, maybe they just didn't sting before that, I don't know, but, um, but uh, we have that brokenness, but we see just this man's heart, that sinful nature going with, by, by chapter six, we have it so bad, there's only one righteous man on the entire planet, and God starts again, and he floods the earth and wipes it out, and it starts again with Noah, and we see it kind of quickly go the same way again. And so God chooses another man, Abraham, and starts again, says, I'm going to choose you to be a people. I'm going to make a special people from you, Abraham, and you're going to be a blessing to the whole earth. You're going to be an example that when the world looks at you and and how you follow and you walk in step with the law and the good way that I've designed life to work, right? When you walk in that, they'll see the blessing that comes and they'll be drawn to it. That That was the goal 
That was the point of Israel. It wasn't for them just to be separate over here, special from everybody else. You know, I like them better. It was supposed to draw the world, supposed to be a light that drew the world. And the rest of the Old Testament is that story of those people, right? And unfortunately, that story is them continuing to rebel and to reject God. And yet the thing that's so crazy in the scriptures is that from, from almost the beginning, we have God starting to, to give this, these, these little hints, these little, and it grew and grew and built on each other that he was going to send a Messiah. He was going to send a Savior that was going to fix all that was broken. It was going to give us that, that relationship with God again, to fix that with that separation that was there. It was going to, eventually he's going to fix everything, you know, uh, all the brokenness of sin in this world, to make it all right. And we see that build and build. And so I just, I just say all that because I think as we come into the Christmas season, that's what, I want that to be on our hearts. I want us to feel that, that, that Jesus coming, what we celebrate at Christmas, is, is the solution to the universal human problem. The, the thing that affects all of us, this sin problem that separates us from God, that it has resulted in all the pain and the death and everything, all that sin has caused in the world, that, that Christmas is when we celebrate that God put his plan into action of how he was going to, to fix, reconcile, redeem all that, right? And it's something he foretold right from the, the plan from eternity past, First Peter one twenty, right? That before the creation of the world, that Jesus was chosen for our sake and revealed to us in this day. And so we, uh, that's what I, is, is kind of on my heart and mind with this going back and looking at these prophecies. And we're going to kind of dig into some of these things that God was saying all the way back to, with the Israelite people about this Messiah that would come and who is he. And that's what we're celebrating here. And so the one we're going to look at this morning is uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. This will really be our verse for this morning. We're going to use this as a jump off point. I had such a good time um, this, this week studying this one verse just sent me into so many places. I had to, I mean, only sharing a little bit of what I found this week. It was amazing. But this one verse, um, and then we're going to dig into it this morning. Um, but it says simply this, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And you just, just think for a moment. You know, we have that Old Testament that I just talked about, and then there's between the Old and New Testament, there's 400 years where God was basically silent. No prophets that we have. No, we don't have any scripture from that time. 400 years. Canada's only like 150-something years old, right? 400 years the people are waiting for this Messiah. The angst building. And on top of that, they're an oppressed people. They go from under the Assyrians and the Persians, the Babylonians, and the Greeks, and then the Romans, right? They're just one empire over them after another, taxed and poor, and right? And so their, their hope like the Advent messages for this morning, their hope was this coming Messiah. That's what all their hope was in, waiting and waiting, right? And what we have, the difference between the Old Testament and New Testament is that. It's the coming of that Messiah, right? That is what defines the New Testament. It's, it's the Messiah comes, New Testament starts, right? And I just think I want you to put, you back, put yourself back to being one of those gospel writers, right? Matthew or Mark or Luke or John, right? Matthew, we're looking at here, was one of Jesus' disciples. And if you were going to write down the message, you wanted the people to understand that the Messiah had come, right? You get the privilege of being the one that God chose to write down for all time after that, 
who, how to announce the birth, the coming of this Messiah, this Savior that had been predicted. And this is, this is how Matthew started his gospel. This is how he wanted to break the silence. And I just thought, this is kind of a, at first it kind of seems like an odd way, doesn't it? The book of the genealogy of Jesus, and then a bunch of names for the next 16 verses. Right? Mentions two of them, son of David, son of Abraham. Starts with a genealogy. Right? And it's, so I think sometimes we take that as just, okay, here's, he's going to get some facts out of the way, you know, let's get you a little brief intro, prologue almost, but, but that's not it at all. I think this genealogy, what it's, what it's shouting to, the, to us and to those who read it first is that Jesus is connected to what came before. There's a history here that he's fulfilling, right? He's not, you think of so many other religions in the world, they, they raise up some great man, but he just happened to be make a name for himself in life, right? He was born of whatever, but, but Jesus is the one who, was, who fulfilled the prophecies before. He was long foretold this Messiah that would come. And so Matthew starts here and he says, look, this is, this is the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. That word Christ, some of your translations might have Messiah, how many people have Messiah in their translation? This is the test who actually has their Bible open. Yeah. <laughs> but how many, we got a few hands there. If you have Messiah, what was that one? I think that's like NLT and NIV, I think, are Messiah. And then uh, Christ would be like King James, ESV, a number of others. So anyways, and that's because it's the same word. Same, one's in the Greek, one's in the, was kind of the Hebrew root. The other one's the Greek root, but it has the same meaning. It means anointed one. Right? And that's the meaning of the Messiah. And so right off the bat, Matthew's going, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Christ. Okay? He wants us to know right off the bat, he is that Messiah that the Old Testament talks about. And, and this, this meaning anointed one, so that word was actually used for other people in the Old Testament. So other people who are anointed like priests or kings, right? And I, just that reference there, 1 Samuel 24.10, actually we touched on it in the prayer meeting this morning. That's when when David's in the cave and he's hiding from Saul and Saul comes in and he's like, you should kill him. And he's like, no, I won't raise my hand against the anointed one. It's the same word. It could have been translated against the Lord's Messiah. Okay. But they translated anointed one because they know that uh, that's the context. Saul is, is been the anointed king. Right. But just so you know, that's kind of the way that's, that's the, the word, but it grew from that. And it, it became so much more that God started to reveal that this, there was going to be the Messiah coming. There was going to be the Christ that would come. And, and by the time of Jesus' day, okay, by the time of Jesus' day, Jewish rabbis had found about, 400, they had about 456 references to the Messiah that they'd identified in the Old Testament. And so by Jesus' day, they're already waiting, right? They already know that God's saying there's, there's something more here, right? There's, there's the Messiah, and we see this from, for example, when the, you know, the Christmas story and the wise men come to Herod and they're like, where's the king of the Jews? And then what does Herod do? He goes and asks his scribes. And what do they do? They go to the scriptures to one of those, those prophecies. They knew this is a prophecy about the coming Messiah. And they knew right where to go. And they go, oh, it's Bethlehem, right? That's just one example of, of these that had been, these um, passages, these Old Testament prophecies that uh, predicted the coming Messiah. Psalm 2.2 is another one. It's quoted. We know it's about Jesus because it's Acts 4.26, just to give you an idea. And so we have Matthew starts with Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ that, that was foretold. And then he's going to go in to prove it. And basically his whole gospel 
is proving that Jesus is that Messiah, is the Christ. And the rest of this genealogy, the rest of the Christmas story, if you look at it through that lens, you'll see that that's basically that's the purpose of the things that he includes in, in the Christmas story that Matthew records or Luke, right? They put it in there because the whole point is that it would prove to us that we would know that Jesus is that Messiah that was foretold in the Old Testament, prophesied of. And so that's what we're going to dig into this morning. He, he highlights these two, the son of David and the son of Abraham. So that's what we're going to kind of dig into. These are the two, two prophecies in the Old Testament that uh, David wants us there, sorry, Matthew wants us to, to really zone in on here. So we're going to do that. The first one's the son of David. And then in the genealogy, he kind of proves how Jesus is from the line of David. But there's, there's actually a number of references about the Messiah coming from David, the line of David. The, and it comes all the way back to 2 Samuel 7. 2 Samuel 7 is, is where God actually makes a covenant with David while David's still alive. So David has established the kingdom. He's living in Jerusalem. He's built his palace, right? And he calls Nathan the prophet, and he says, you know, Nathan, God has made our land secure, right? We're now dwelling in security. We have the, the, the you know, Jerusalem is our capital. He's, and he's like, but there's something wrong here because I'm living in this palace and God's still living in a tent in the tabernacle, right? And so he calls, he wants to do something, he wants to honor God for all that God has done for them as a people. And in response to that, God, through the prophet Nathan, gives this promise to David. And he says this, this is 2 Samuel seven sixteen, And your house, speaking of David, and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever and so he makes this promise to David. Now, you can just imagine if you're David, if you're a king back then. I mean, he's been doing his best to follow God, to honor God, right? God has used him mightily. The land's been made secure. God's been faithful, right? And, but to get, and, and so he's got a good kingdom. But to be given the promise that your kingdom will last forever, I mean, as a king, you'd be like, wow, that is one big promise from God, that my kingdom will last forever. And so... No surprise, David grabs onto that. This is later in Samuel. David's just doing this big song. And he says, Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. This is just part of, right? So David, you can see he's holding on to this, this um, promise that God has given him that his kingdom will last forever. His descendants would be on the throne forever. But there's a problem that comes up. And that's because Within two generations, there's already issues with this. You know, after at the end of Solomon's reign, Solomon starts to, to reject and starts to follow idols. And then at, right after Solomon, so the grand, grandchild, next that generation, two generations from David, the kingdom splits. And there's ten kingdoms in the north called Israel and two in the south called Judah. And, and the ten kingdoms up north aren't ruled by one of David's line anymore. So you still got Judah that has his bloodline ruling it. Right? But already you're starting to see this fracture, and that goes on for a number of generations. But Israel and Judah continue to rebel against God and worship idols until it gets to the point, and there's prophets God sends that says, warning them, you know, turn back, don't worship idols, come back, or else God's going to send judgment on you. And they don't listen. And what ends up happening is Israel, that northern kingdom, gets taken by the Assyrians in 722 B.C., and Judah holds on for another 150-something years, but in 586, they too wouldn't listen, wouldn't repent, wouldn't follow God, continue to worship idols, and they too get captured by the Babylonians 
and there is no more Israel, and there is no more king on the throne. So God's promise fail, right? How does God's promise endure in that moment? Well, we start to see that that promise was so much more than just, just David's bloodline. It was more than just, God was, that promise had more to do than just that there'd be a king on the, of that piece of land there in the Middle East. It was so much more than that. And we see that through these prophets. We're going to look at a couple. The first one is Hosea. Hosea was a prophet in Israel. That's the northern kingdom. Right around the time, he was there when Assyria conquered it in 722, okay? He was like called one of the last prophets for Israel, the northern kingdom. He was the one warning the people, you stop worshiping idols, turn back to God, or else the judgment is coming. And he was there when that judgment came because they didn't listen. But look at what Hosea, what God prophesied through Hosea to those people that were being led away into exile. Look at what he says to them. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. But afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. And they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. And so we, here we have, as they're being led out of Jerusalem, I picture, you know, the prophet is giving them this, I warned you, you didn't listen, but look at their God's promise won't fail. You're going to be gone for a time, right? But you will return. In that day, you'll seek the Lord and David, your king. And I just thought that was interesting. I mean, David, David's been dead for, I don't know how many generations, eight, ten generations by now, right? So obviously not David, David, their king. I'm talking about this, this lineage of David. But you look at what they're looking to seek. What, what kind of the... This, this, this coming back together is going to look like. It's, they're going to come in fear of the Lord and in goodness, right? They're going to return and seek God. That's kind of the picture the prophets are starting to give of what this return and what this seeking of David is going to look like. And the prophets, more add on to it, Jeremiah, he was basically like Hosea, but in the, the southern kingdom of Judah, he was the same thing. He was the last one. He was the one preaching to them, this is going to happen if you don't turn and repent. And they didn't listen. And so he was there when Babylon, Babylon came in and conquered in 586. But again, and this one's even more clear, God's bringing more and more clarity to this Messiah, this son of David. And so through Jeremiah, God prophesies, listen, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will rise, raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. And in his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And listen to this. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Amazing. And so through Jeremiah, same thing. People being led away into exile. They've lost. The, Jerusalem was completely destroyed in 586 gone, right? That's why Nehemiah and Ezekiel had to rebuild it, right? And so completely wiped out, and they're being led away. And yet, God wanted to give them this prophecy. Don't forget, there will be a time, and I'm going to raise up this righteous branch, capital B, from the, from, of David, and he'll reign as king and deal wisely and execute justice and righteousness. Righteousness, this is more than just getting your land back. This is about that, that brokenness with, with, that was broken by sin, that separation from God, right? 
Righteousness, I think I've given you this definition before, but I found this helpful in my own Bible reading. But righteousness, you can just sub in right standing or right relationship. That's always helped me if you just kind of sub those in. And so what he's talking about is kind of that right standing. He's going to restore the right standing with God or the right relationship with God. So he's looking to do. And his name will be called the Lord is our right standing, our right relationship, our righteousness. So it makes it pretty clear that this Messiah is going to be divine. He's going to fix what, he's going to save them. And it, it, both Israel and Judah, there's going to be some kind of coming together again. We won't be split anymore. And lastly, we'll look at Isaiah. This one I won't spend too much time on because we're going to do it in a couple weeks. It's well known at Christmas time, but Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. Isaiah was a prophet to both. He prophesied to both Israel and Judah, um, kind of right in, in between and uh, spanning both. And he says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. There's that promise of forever that that God made with David. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Right? I mean, I don't know how much clearer we can get. There's Isaiah. He's, he's putting it all together for us. This promise that God made to David that his throne would last forever, that doesn't seem like how could that be? There is no more Israel. There is no more David king, Davidic king. How can this be? Well, there's going to be uh, a divine Messiah that is going to come wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, and it's his throne that will last forever. And so what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us? Um, we too, we've now, we get to be on the, the other side of, we know that Jesus is that Messiah. And so now you look back at, at Matthew chapter 1, and that son of David, all of a sudden you start to see why why Matthew included that, don't you? That he was pointing forward all the, all the angst of the people looking forward to this king that would come to deliver them and save them. And even by then, they were already seeing that this king was going to be so much more than just, hey, give us our land back, right? They were looking for someone to save them, to restore their relationship with God, to, to push back all that was broken by sin, all the oppression and, and consequences of sin that they were experiencing, Right? They knew the Messiah was going to deliver them, save them from that. If you read through the Gospels and you pay attention to that, you'll see that's a title people would call out to Jesus, son of David. The story I love is, is Mark 10 with Bar, blind Bartimaeus, right? And he's a blind on the side of the road and Jesus is walking by and he's like, son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. He's crying out and the disciples are like, be quiet, you know, and then Jesus stops. You remember that story? You heard that story? And Jesus, of course, heals him, right? Why, why is he calling out son of David? Right? He's not being like, son of David, would you like, you know, kind of drive out the Romans and, and establish a kingdom and make me pay less tax? That'd be awesome. You know, no, no, he's going, heal me. I'm blind. Son of David, heal me. And so already we know that the, the Jews, and that's just one example. There's a whole bunch. You just search all the time. Son of David is used in the Gospels. You'll see that, that this was a title. They knew that this Messiah that was coming was more than just a kingly figure over their nation. He was going to save them. He had the power to heal. He had the power to deliver and to save. 
And it's not just Matthew either. We have Luke as well when he records the, the Christmas account. I, I, just, I just love this. Luke, Luke chapter 1, he records what um, the angel said to Mary. And so I just thought Luke was a historian, right? Like he came after, if you remember our Acts series kind of explained where Luke, Luke was like contemporary of Paul, right? And then, but he was a historian. So he comes back and he interviews everybody, gets all the eyewitness accounts. So I'm just going to guess he talked to Mary. That's just my, my guess. Probably went right to the source. Like, Mary, what did, what, how did this come to be? And she's like, well, Gabriel came to me and said, behold, you'll conceive in your womb and bear a son and you'll call his name Jesus. He'll be great. Be called the son of the most high. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Jacob got renamed Israel, right? In his kingdom, there will be no end. And so this is just me, but when I, I read that, I think, isn't that neat that, one, God, when he sends Gabriel, the kind of the messenger angel, right? When there's a really important angel, or a really important message, send Gabriel. That was kind of right. And so, so Gabriel comes down, and I just picture God saying to Gabriel, like, okay, go down to Mary. Here's where she is. Make sure you tell her she's going to be the, the, son, the mother to the son of God. And, and you think, oh, by the way, can you make sure you tell her? that the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David, and he reign over that house forever, and the kingdom will be no end. Make sure you include that, right? And then, and then when Luke's writing, God, the Holy Spirit inspires Luke, like, make sure you write that part down. That's going to be important. We want people to know that, to, be, to know that Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise that I made to David those centuries and centuries previous. And so what does it mean for us? We know that Jesus is the King of Kings. Amen. He's delivered us from something so much greater than a world empire. He delivered us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We've been saved from eternal death to eternal life. We're free to worship God, not in a physical temple in Jerusalem, but in spirit and in truth. The Holy Spirit, the very presence of God, now dwells in us. We are the temple of God. So as you read about Jesus, the son of David, this Christmas, think about how you are a citizen of God's kingdom. And King Jesus is sitting on his throne. Right now, you believe that? Like right now, Jesus is sitting on his throne. Amen. And someday he's coming back to rule and to reign. And those of us who have put our faith in him will reign with him. Son of David. So much there. So much more. You can do your own study. Keep going. You look that up. And Son of David. Son of Abraham. And so this is the other one he mentions, and the genealogy proves it. The Messiah not only would be in the lineage of David, um, but he would also be a son of Abraham. And this goes back to that, one of those first covenants God makes in Genesis chapter 12. and says, Now the Lord said to Abram, because he hadn't been named Abraham yet, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I love this. I think we're familiar with that covenant promise, right? And from that comes the nation of Israel. But I think... Don't miss that that part I highlight at the end there. That was the purpose of it, right? The whole point of, of getting Abraham and giving him, making him into a great nation and blessing him was so that the rest of the, the ethnos, is the word there, the families of the earth would be blessed, right? They were, that was the goal, was that Israel was supposed to 
end up blessing the whole world, right? And it wasn't that they were supposed to be taken apart and, and set aside as something more special, and, and, uh, but they were supposed to end up being a blessing, an example, a light. And, and we see this as we go on into the, into the New Testament. This is from Galatians chapter 3, verses 7 and 9. Paul explains it for us perfectly. He says this, knows that, that, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Right? Those of faith in the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, that's us, by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. Here's, that's a quote from, from what the Genesis 12, 3 that we just read. So then, those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. So you see what Paul's saying here? He's taking this promise all the way from Abraham, all those 1,500, 1,600 years before. And he says, Abraham, he goes, look at that promise that all the nations will be blessed, how is that going to happen? Especially again when Israel wasn't a nation for a while, right? Completely destroyed and taken away into exile. How can this be true? Well, he shows us that it's because of what Jesus did. When Jesus came and opened up the way for all of us by faith in Christ to become sons of God, that is the blessing that God was promising to Abraham. That is how we, the other ethnos, are are blessed by the covenant of Abraham through the through the Israelite people because Jesus the Messiah came through the Jewish people and that's how we are I just the other thing I just thought was sidebar super interesting I never noticed until I saw this verse but the the gospel beforehand uses the word gospel and I thought usually we think of the gospel we think well the gospel is, you know, John three sixteen. God so loved the world, he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life, right? That's kind of what we think of, death, resurrection of Christ, right, to bring us salvation. We think of the gospel, but here the gospel was preached to Abraham. And I thought, that's kind of neat, right? It just made me kind of rethink it because the gospel, what the gospel, I don't know if you know where the word comes from. So the word, it's not like the, the biblical writers made it up, right? They, they, they took a word that was used in society. And what it was used for is when Caesar or a king would conquer another territory, they'd send out a gospel proclamation to say, look at, you know, so-and-so has conquered this territory. He now reigns over this area. Send out a proclamation, okay, a gospel. Send it out. Let everybody know. He's this person's king and he reigns, right? And so the Christians went, that's a great word to use for Jesus. <laughs> he's king and he reigns and he's conquered all. And so they took it and it's what we use it to apply now and so that's what this is saying right that god to abraham showed abraham that this messiah that would come would be the king that would reign over all things and it was fulfilled in christ of course and so again what does that what does this all mean for us this christmas season whenever we see something about jesus being the son of abraham isaac or jacob Remember that it's because of Jesus that we are able to become children of God. We are now part of God's chosen people. We've been welcomed in through Christ. Not of the, in our Ephesians series, we saw this too, right? When he talked about breaking down the dividing wall, how Ephesians 2 says we were separated from the covenant, aliens, strangers, without hope, right? Then Christ came in. He broke that separation, brought us, made two into one. Same picture, 
through Christ's sacrifice on the cross, we too have become children of God. One last connection here, that all nations, does that ring any, ring any other bells? Does that think of any other verses that talk about those all nations? Anybody? Might be on, might be on the wall in the church somewhere. Yes, thank you, Gail. Yes, go therefore and make disciples, right? Go into all the nations and make disciples, baptizing them. Yes, and uh, I was reading one, I just, I didn't think of that, and then one of my commentaries noted that. He said, this is kind of, that's the fulfillment. I thought, what a way for us to, to leave us with today, that if Jesus is the fulfillment, if he's the one, that that blessing to the whole world, that covenant to Abraham was fulfilled in Jesus, we're the method that he chose, right? Empowered by the Holy Spirit, we're the method he chose to take that blessing and make it known. And so this Christmas, look for opportunities to make disciples of all nations, all ethnos, all people, by sharing the good news that Jesus the Messiah has come, he's the King of Kings, and he offers the blessing of eternal life to all that would believe. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we... We thank you, we praise you that you came that before the creation of the world you were chosen, Jesus, to save us. And you were revealed at Christmas. You lived that perfect life we couldn't live. You died to pay for our sin. You rose again to show you conquered sin and death. And you offer it freely to anyone who would put their faith in you. And so I pray, Lord, would you strengthen our faith this Christmas season? Um, Would you remind us um, of the hope that we have that we look forward to because of you? And would you give us boldness to share this message, this gospel proclamation that you are king and uh, you will rule and reign and that you offer salvation to all that would turn to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.